This sermon was recorded at Highway Palo Alto in Palo Alto, California. If you'd like to find out more about Highway Community, you can head to www.highway.org. So in the beginning, God created mankind in his image. And justice is natural law. It's a response uh, that reflects God's image in us as we recognize God's image in other people. Justice involves giving people what they deserve as God's creation. And this is the foundation of human dignity and equality. Everyone deserves justice, but everyone at some level in some context is guilty of injustice. We don't always give people the justice they deserve. Injustice is wickedness that ignores and mars the image of God. Justice is righteousness that restores the image of God. Injustice can be endemic. It can be ingrained in societal structures. Justice can be organic and reflected in equitable systems. Now, Jubilee justice, we've been looking at different passages that deal with this Jubilee legislation and, uh, and it is really all about justice. Jubilee was designed to align the nation of Israel with God's character and his intentions in creating the world. The Jubilee legislation is a direct reflection of his character. Uh, the command for everyone to rest, slave or free, was corporate justice. The command to rest the land every seventh year was creation justice. It was respecting creation in that way. The command to release slaves every 70th in 50th year was compassionate justice. The Jubilee legislation gave the world an experience of what God is like. It corrected the sinful drift of mankind from the right ordering of the world. Uh, by returning lands and people, God created economic and human equality. And having experienced our personal Jubilee through Christ, as the video pointed out, we are called to extend Jubilee by acknowledging injustice and as we have the ability to do it, to do something about it. Uh, more than justice, God extends us grace. And so what are our expressions of grace? How can we join God's great movement in ordering a chaotic world? Now, scripture identifies justice as a spiritual issue. It's not an add-on. It's not something outside of a relationship with the Lord Jesus. It's, it's actually directly tied to it uh, in having a relationship with God through Christ. Throughout scripture, justice and righteous are the same word and implies that they are linked. Psalm 106.3, it says, blessed are they who maintain justice, who constantly do what is right. Uh, Psalm 9.7 and following, the Lord reigns forever. He's established his throne for judgment. He will judge the world in righteousness. He will govern the peoples with justice. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, the stronghold in times of trouble. And so justice is a combination of righteousness and love that leads to wholeness, that leads to shalom, as uh, the Hebrew puts it, and I, a wellness, uh, a right relationship with the creator, with the creation, and each other. And we see clearly that justice is a spiritual issue in the Old Testament book of Amos. Uh, God gave a man named Amos. Uh, he was a shepherd from the small town of Tekoa uh, near Bethlehem. Uh, and he gave, him, he gave him a message, an abrupt and stunning message, uh, to the northern kingdom of Israel. So this is the time of the divided monarchy. There was northern Israel and then southern Israel, uh, Judah and Benjamin. And God gave him this, this message. And uh, it was a message that came in an age of unprecedented prosperity in the nation of Israel. In fact, this was the golden age of Israel. 
Um, it became actually a very materialistic society at that time. And uh, there was a peace that was enjoyed, and, and the Jews interpreted that as God's blessing upon them. Um, under Jeroboam II, Israel enjoyed this remarkable cultural, social, and economic revival. It was the last glorious period uh, in the history of the kingdom. Everybody, everybody seemed unanimous that God was favoring them, but what they didn't realize that they themselves were becoming God's antagonists, and they were therefore ripe for judgment. In Amos chapter 5, verse 12, it says, For I know how many are your offenses and how great your sins. You oppress the righteous and take bribes, and you deprive the poor of justice in the courts. And since justice and righteousness are connected, God refused to accept their worship of him. Amos 5.21 and following says this, I hate, I despise your religious feasts. I cannot stand your assemblies. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. And so the Jews were following the temple practices of sacrifice. Um, but he says, away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river, and righteousness like a never-failing stream. It was 100 years later, in 605 BC, that Babylon invaded Israel, and that was it. Without justice rolling on like a river, and righteousness like a never-failing stream, it doesn't matter how loud we sing, it doesn't matter how much we give, financially or otherwise. If we're not right with God, um, if we're not right with God, then God will not accept that as our elements of our, our worship. He expects us to be right with others as well. So God's expectation of us is that we would be those who would do justice, doing justice. Uh, justice begins with an understanding of the inherent value of every human being because every human being is uniquely created in God's image. I've repeated this a number of times this morning, but it is the baseline and it's where we start. Justice does not raise people to our level. Justice recognizes that people are at our level, whatever their situation socially, economically, or spiritually. Biblical justice isn't about wrongdoers uh, paying the consequences of their actions. I mean, that's certainly one form of justice in the scriptures. Um, but actually, the biblical approach is to restore those on the margins economically, socially, and emotionally in order to rehabilitate God's image within them and provide in, in, and to provide security. And so in scripture, a society is just when the defenseless ones, the unprotected ones, have been brought back into the community to enjoy a fair share in the community's goods and a standing and a voice in the affairs of the community. And so justice is recognizing the inherent value of every human being. Justice is a third world child drinking clean water. Justice is an inner city orphan adopted by a teacher at school. Justice is a wealthy person endowing a foundation to fight disease. Justice is a busy family taking time to visit a lonely widow. Justice is helping immigrants navigate American society. Justice is explaining the truth about Jesus to a person who has never heard or understood his message. And this is a form of justice that is not practiced as it should be today. We have good news. And if we are not sharing this good news that we have had shared with us and that we are called to embody, well, then that's a form of injustice if we keep that to ourselves. These acts are justice, not mercy, because of the inherent value of the beneficiary of each act. One day Christ will return and he'll restore creation to its created order. But until that day comes, he chips away at it through us.
Now in the New Testament, there's a little book called Philemon. And uh, Philemon is one of those New Testament postcards. <laughs> one of these days I wanna preach a series on New Testament postcards. Just little one act plays, one chapter books, short ones, Philemon, Jude, uh, there's other ones, Second John, Third John. But in Philemon, we see this example of extending uh, justice, of doing justice. Paul wrote this letter to Philemon. Uh, he was a believer in Colossae, uh, who along with others, he was a slave owner. And one of his slaves, Onesimus, was stolen from him, uh, had stole from him, excuse me, and then ran away with it. And under Roman law, he could just be hauled in and executed. But Onesimus, as he was out on the lamb, he met Paul, and through his ministry, he became a follower of Christ. Now he was willing to return to his master. Now he wanted to do the right thing and make good on what he had done as evidence of his faith in Christ at possible risk of his own life. And so Paul writes a letter that is really a personal appeal to Philemon to ask that he accept him back. And he accept him on the basis of the fact that he is, he is a man. <laughs> he is a man like Philemon, and also now he is, a, he is a brother in Christ. In Philemon 15 and 16, it says, perhaps the reason he was separated from you, Paul is saying this, for a little while uh, was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, no longer with this I-thou relationship that you've had, but better than a slave, as a brother. He's very dear to me and even dear to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. Now between Philemon's time and now, many have struggled to live out Paul's challenge to overcome what might be called a cultural mindset of slavery. And even though, um, we may not have slaves, certainly there are many slaves today. There's all kinds of abuses uh, in terms of slavery, much of it hidden from us. Um, all of us have servants. All of us have people that, that serve us and serve us economically. Even those without in-home staff like maids, butlers, chefs, or nannies. Um, I'll have to say that I don't think that we have any of those people working for us. Um, but there's an entire service industry that takes care of really everything we need. The Bureau of Labor, Labor and Statistics estimates, estimated last year that there are 131 million people in this country who work in service industries. And so our food is prepared for us, our coffee is customized for us, our packages are delivered for us by those who, who serve in these service industries. Yet our society tends to denigrate manual labor of all kinds, and especially labor in uh, service industries. We look down on service so much sometimes that we use service jobs as a way to scare better grades into our kids. I've been guilty of this. Look at that guy. You don't want to do that, right? Digging a ditch or whatever he's doing. Stay in school, right? Um, which is an implicit a message. You know, we want to stimulate our kids to be all that they can be. But at the same time, it can also be sending a message that these people are somehow less than us. Our existence is supported by the labor of people who directly or indirectly serve us, just as Onesimus served Philemon. And so Onesimus was going to go back and be a servant to Philemon, uh, once again, or a slave within that, that system. But he is asking him to see him as an equal, to see him in a very different way than he had before. How we treat them, both relationally and economically, servants, it shows whether we consider them part of the economic machinery and it's just the way it is, 
or whether we see them as equals. And certainly you've had the experience at times standing in line, like I have a number of times at the Red Rock Coffee Shop that we have in downtown Mountain View, and just the, the incredible rudeness of people uh, to the folks that stand behind the register and the ones that are making their coffee drink. You know, it's almost like, you know, um, good manners don't count here. Uh, I'm here and you are there. And I, there are times when I've actually interrupted people uh, going off on something and been tempted to kick them out of the coffee shop, right? But, but this is, but this is, this is, this is kind of, the, I just want to get at the way that we think. And I think at some level, all of us can be guilty of this in some way. And so justice is seeing people as equal, equal to us. We're not better than anyone. We're not worse than, than anyone. Um, but everyone is created in God's image and therefore uh, deserves justice. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who embodied justice. And he did it in his death, uh, which was the ultimate demonstration of God's justice. In Romans 3.25 and 26, it says this. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement. So he's atoning for sin through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice, right? And so uh, God doesn't just let things go. Ultimately, things are rectified. And so he did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. But he placed that on the Lord Jesus. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. And so as the, as the video pointed out, this idea of we are the ones who have received uh, this incredible gift, this grace from God, well then it should be a natural thing for us to extend that to others. I think that, I don't think we spend enough time really considering uh, the benefits of a relationship with Christ and the love that he has shown toward us. If we spent more time in that rather than just moving over it, I think that it would flow from us more naturally. So the cross is an example of what would be called paradoxical patronage. The possessor becomes the servant to those without. That's what Jesus did. Jesus is the master, the perfect master. In fact, he's divine, he's God. But yet he made himself a servant. Philippians chapter 2 goes through that incredible journey of the Lord Jesus as he came to earth. And he humbled himself and he offered himself. We had no righteousness of our own, and so Jesus moved his into our account. We were debt slaves to sin, and Jesus paid the price to redeem us, a price we could not pay. There's no question that Jesus expects us to live out his example of this kind of paradoxical patronage. To, to become servants of others, channeling the grace that we have received from him. God has called us to be culture makers. I mean, we live in a culture. We live in a culture that is going in a certain direction. But for those who have this hope, and for those who know the Lord Jesus Christ, it is on us to create a new culture, strands within this culture that reflect justice, that reflect the love of God that he has for others. There's a book, a great book, called Culture Making uh, by Andy Crouch, and he uses the image of the interstate highway system to explain how this works, this idea of creating culture. Before the interstate highway system was built, our country was basically shaped by the contour of, of rivers. But when the interstate highways were built, towns sprung up uh, on the system and sometimes choked out towns that were not on that system. 
cities and economies thrived where they intersected. Now, justice, or this idea of paradoxical patronage, of seeing others as equal and working to lift them up, this is God's interstate highway system. Changing culture requires catalyzing justice that leads to more of it. So consider this, how many possibilities are released in a person's life when they learn how to read? How, many, how much industry is released when the dispossessed receive enterprise loans in coaching on establishing a business? How does a person's ability to provide for their family change the world? This is the vision we're called to. How is a healthy life released by simply having clean, safe drinking water? When a person isn't profiled because of their cultural background, but given an equitable chance, how does that change the world? What difference does the culture you create within your sphere of control, in your home, work, neighborhood, church community, what difference does it make in people's ability to be happy and productive and to pass that on, for, for justice to roll on like a river? What difference does it make when a supervisor creates a culture of respect, affirmation, and responsibility in the workplace? How does just one family hauling out a barbecue and calling neighbors uh, to, to community, within their community, how does that transform neighborhoods? When a person embodies the grace of God and reflects God's love, how does that recreate relationships and the realization of what God is like? When we live this out, we are signposts of the kingdom of God. We're, this is what the kingdom is like. Uh, this is what God is like. And we are chipping away at a world that has spun off into darkness, but there are lights that are coming as a result of Christians living out their faith. I'm going to ask Annie Wu if she'll come up right now. If you don't know Annie and Samson, you should. Um, I've had a few years now of uh, getting to know them, and as I've gotten to know Annie, I've been, you want to keep that microphone up here, just uh, Annie, truly, without making a lot of noise about it, has a missional heart, uh, one that is truly formed at a deep level uh, in, in, with, by, by justice, her desire to see others uh, to live out and to live in the respect and the opportunities um, that are evident in what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. And so I've asked Annie to come and to share a little bit about how this, you know, how does she track this? Like, how was this formed inside of her? And, and what, are, what are some of the ways that God has kind of moved her with this over the years? So I'll turn it to you. You know, I, I think that, you know, f for me, it's, it's like, it's, it's not just being nice to people. Like, I'm nice to them, right? But, it, but it's actually seeing them as equals and, and caring about people enough to where we actually pray for them. Because I believe in that moment, uh, the Lord will begin to unfold ways that we might, we're just drawn to people and there will be a way that opens up that we can minister on a personal level. And Annie addressed some of the more cultural elements and the things that are there that we need to be aware of as well. But there's, there should be shoe leather to our faith. Um, and that's what the Lord has called us to. Robert, Richard Foster is a devotional writer, wrote Celebration of Discipline. And in the book, he talked about ordinary prayer. And he talked about ordinary prayer as actually prayers, uh, of putting prayers into action. It's praying less with whispered words and more with the sweat of our brows and the work of our hands, actually to do things. Ordinary prayer is the prayer of action. Every action performed in the sight of God, according to the will of God, is a prayer to God. 
Each activity of daily life in which we stretch ourselves on behalf of others is a prayer of action. These times are lived prayer. And we're called, uh, we, we pray otherwise as well. We pray for people. We worship God. There's all these elements of prayer, but we should look at our efforts in this area as actually a prayer that is offered to the Lord, and he can do with it what he wishes in that person's heart, in that person's life. Um, and, and most of all, that we would just be emblems of the kingdom of God and emblems of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're gonna take communion now. It's very fitting for us to take it every Sunday, but especially today. Um, and so this is, this, is, this is us reflecting once again when the Lord Jesus Christ reached down to us and he pulled us up. He paid something that we could never have paid. He loved us without anything attractive in us uh, toward him. He didn't look at us and say, wow, there's a really gifted person. I think I'll pull that person up. No, he did it just as an act of love toward us. And so as we take communion this morning, uh, I invite you to just, to just revel in that, to just, to just bear, to, you know, um, dwell in that truth of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. God sent him to make all this stuff right. He took care of all of our sin by putting his righteousness in our account. And now he calls us to go and to live and to express our lives, to live our lives in a way that reflects that great gift that we have received. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we are, we're thankful, Lord, that, uh, that you don't operate according to a, a, the worldly sense of justice because we certainly didn't deserve this. Lord, each of us, when we take a moment to dwell in it, we realize how really broken we are, Lord, how badly we need redemption. We needed someone to save us. And Lord, we need, we need you to save us each and every day. Um, Father, we, we slip into ways of thinking or viewing people in the world that are not, that are not consistent with the love of the Lord Jesus Christ for us and for others. And so, Father, as we take the elements today, uh, significant of your body and your blood, Lord, may we remember again that you have done this for us. You have lifted us up through your love and by your blood. And we thank you for this again in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.